We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Australians love to renovate their homes. You can tell we do because there are so many DIY TV programs that show us how to give it a go. But when you watch programs like Grand Designs, The Block or House Rules, there's rarely an architect who's involved on site. With many programs like this out there, a lot of people might assume that design, renovation and building can all be easily undertaken by anyone at home as long as they have the time and money. Now, this is true to some extent, and a lot of people have a great deal of fun renovating their homes, but it might be hard to know how far you can go yourself before things start to get dangerous or it becomes more costly than if some professionals had taken it on. I'm Daniel Moore, and in today's episode of Hearing Architecture, we've asked architects from around Australia how architects are portrayed in the public and how clients can be involved in the design process. Some renovation TV programs inspire people to get involved in building or renovating their own homes, and it's also inspired some architects to follow that vocation. However, most architecture projects take months if not years to complete, and that's not always represented in the media. Andrew Maynard from Austin Maynard Architects tells us about how they include clients when they say they want to get involved in the architecture process. I always say to clients, be as involved as much or as little as you want. Like we're a one-stop shop, we'll just take care of it. You know, we, we live in a culture that is a, a DIY culture and for many decades architects have been trying to argue why they have value. <laughs> I think that's now hopefully apparent to most people, the value that we have to offer. And I think things like Grand Designs have been really helpful to show that it is always <laughs> a controlled fall yeah. and there are always stumbles and it's always difficult. It's about the end game making it look like it was effortless and easy. Uh, but it is always really hard. And I think the more that people see that it is a difficult process and it requires expertise, the more they're willing to actually step back. So I really am quite thankful that we've got something like Grand Designs out there in the public eye. You know, we, we live in an... Uh, the laws of the universe are one of entropy. Like, the universe is falling apart. It's, it's basic physics. It's the heat death of the world. So <laughs> things want to decay. They don't want to build. Um, and so we actively as humans work against that. We build things even though they're trying to fall down all the time. So I say that to the guys all the time. You know, it is going to be difficult because buildings don't want to be built. I think that maybe the layperson thinks it's easier because they see these half an hour segments where something goes from an idea to just being built. Uh, I think for some of the shows like The Block and, and things like that, they want to have the drama in there but they do make it seem really simple, but there's actually an army of people that actually know what they're doing in the background. So it's probably an issue of advertising. I think it's also the consumer age. Do we have things like cars? I think people often compare the experience of buying a car to engaging in architecture to a house. Like, I just want to test drive it and then give it to me. So, well, I'm sorry, but every single house is a prototype. Cars have gone through dozens and dozens of prototypes to refine that particular product um, to mass produce it so you get lower costs and you get super high quality. I'm sorry, I've tried to <laughs> explore prefab housing for a long time when I was a younger practitioner. Uh, that's not how we build buildings. So each building is a prototype 
and there's inefficiencies in that and that's just the way that it that it works but if you've got a good architect and a good team you know hopefully those inefficiencies are really controlled that's why we have somebody like mark austin who uh you know his job is to have that controlled descent as you know getting as few bumps as possible he's just a very good practitioner but that comes from years and years of experience and sort of tenacity and skill that the layperson simply doesn't have and it is that same old um cliche or that uh, would you do surgery to yourself? We go to university for as long as a, a surgeon um, and study for as long as a surgeon. Uh, culturally, we don't question or try to take over their job while they're in the middle of it. Um, so I do think that that's uh, probably how we should treat architects. But at the same time, we are acutely aware, mainly doing housing at AMA, that for most people, homes are their biggest investment and they're also incredibly emotional spaces and that's important that's why we love them so therefore we do need to let people participate in the process but we're also very open about how we try to protect them from themselves people can emotionally make bad decisions so we try to actually include them as much as they want to be included but we also try to protect them from themselves and we do that openly we think this is this is your home if you want to do that that's fine but we think it's a bad decision because of xyz so it's about openness, openness and transparency That was Andrew Maynard from Austin Maynard Architects, based in Melbourne. After watching some renovation TV shows, a lot of people really want to work on their own home. And they can. In Australia, almost anyone can be involved. Damien Madigan from Madigan Architecture tells us about how anyone can be involved in the design of their own home and how an architect might be able to help. I think in terms of the DIY idea, you know, it tends to bring you back to housing. And the fact is, and this is something that architects will always struggle against in a way unless they embrace it, mm. embrace the idea anyone can do a house. You, know, yep. you, you, don't, you don't need an architect mm-hmm. to do that. And that's always been the case. That's not a, it's not a new issue by any means. I just think that reality TV has made it appear like it is. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. um, over the last however many years, 10 years, 15 years, We've been so saturated with lifestyle shows that have some kind of claim on design that everyone's a designer now. Everyone's an expert in housing because everyone lives in a house of some form. Mm. And it's, um, you know, in terms of how how much of the process a, a client could take on, I mean, if it's something like a house, they can and they do do it all. And... You know, it doesn't matter how many bad news stories you can see on Grand Designs where people mm-hmm. have, you know, had to give up their job and live in a caravan for however long. And, um, yeah. you know, there is still this sort of romantic idea that it's some sort of noble pursuit and that people have sacrificed mm-hmm. a lot, and they do, yep. um, to achieve this amazing sort of outcome, regardless of whether, you you know, as, as an architect, mm-hmm. you, you like what the work is or not on a show like Grand Designs. So I think... That is something architects are constantly up against and we need to sort of acknowledge that and learn to work mm-hmm. with it. The question becomes where we, where we show our skill uh, as a value to clients. That was Damien Madigan from Madigan Architecture based in South Australia. When someone decides to take on a building project, it's always useful to talk to someone who's gone through the process before. Architects can really add value here because they might see an opportunity that a client hasn't thought of before. This process isn't ever shown on TV and people are mostly left to their own devices. 
Rod Simpson, the Environment Commissioner for the Greater Sydney Commission, lets us know what he thinks about architects in reality TV. Leaving aside the block, let's think about grand designs or all of these shows, actually. I mean, I'm absolutely appalled, I have to say, at how little regard is given to the architect in so many of these, these shows. I don't think society at large appreciates the dedication, skill and difficulty of being a professional architect and operating in both a professional and ethical manner. <laughs> So I'm, I'm absolutely appalled at how these shows um, quite often give the impression that it's not only all the client's ideas, but also um, the client who is somehow, uh, in spite of their architect, bringing this beautiful building to fruition. Beyond reality TV, Rod has had his fair share of clients who've come to him to ask if they should be involved in the design of their own home. He's been giving the following advice for quite a while. Design your own home. Design a home that accommodates what you enjoy. And that sounds really trivial, but I'll, I'll use an example. Because so many people now, because of what we've got in Australia in terms of housing being the preferred form of investment and capital accumulation for individuals means that people are primarily concerned with resale value. Uh, what we try to do is then point out that in fact it's a very big market and generally housing's in high demand. So in other words, if you like it and you think it's a great place and we're here to actually help you realise that, it's highly likely that someone else will also like it and appreciate that it's different. There'll be 20 people who don't like that and that's fine. but. Equally, there'll be enough buyers out there to actually buy it. And that's been a reasonably successful argument to, that we've put to clients. And the thing is that then having that sort of discussion, of course, is also a way of engaging with the client. And it is a collaboration. But the steering and the, dare I say, the, the pushing clients to the limit is, is, is part of that, not game, but certainly part of that engagement. That was Rod Simpson, the Environment Commissioner for the Greater Sydney Commission. Whether an architect is designing a house or one of Australia's new skyscrapers, the client always approves everything at each stage of the design process. It's up to the client to define just how much involvement and time they want to spend on the project. Lee Hillam from Dunn & Hillam Architects tells us about the difference between her clients for residential projects versus her clients on larger projects in the public sector. These television shows kind of empower people to think that they can do it all. They pretty quickly work out that they can't, but we have had clients that are very keen to be very involved. And the only thing I think that limits their involvement is how much time they've got. No one realises how much time it would take to be that involved. But if they do have the time and they have that interest and they really want to get stuck in, then um, we, we encourage it, but mostly what we find is people go, oh, we're going to be really you know, involved and we want to you know, help with this and design this. And when it comes down to it, they're so exhausted by all the decisions they have to make. This is, you know, the, I'm talking about residential projects here. That by the time it gets around to picking tiles and stuff, they're, they're, they're almost over it. <laughs> they haven't realised what a long journey that it was going to be. And 
But there's no reason why um, it can't be this sort of like a, a mentoring relationship between you and the client and you're bringing people along. And in fact, in our public projects, I think that's actually a really important thing to try and foster. So that you get to the end of that project and the people who you've worked with, who are your clients, who might be a local council or you know, a, 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 an arts group, they actually really feel like they've owned, they own that project and they own that building. So they not only do they have this practical sense of knowing how to look after the building and knowing how it works, they actually are protective of it and are proud of it. And it just, it will work so much better if they're kind of engaged in the process like that. So the more we can get people to be um, taking a role, uh, the, the better it is. That was Lee Hillam from Dunn & Hillam Architects based in Sydney. Architects are usually happy to provide advice for people who want to take on their own projects. There's just so much involved in the process that it's hard to know when they should stop before they're just an unofficial consultant. Shanine Fanton and Belinda Orwood tell us about the advantages of having an architect involved and how they can help your project. I guess theoretically uh, clients can take on as much of the architecture as they wish to but it comes down to a risk and value decision and really, you only have to watch grand designs to see the number of people who think they can take on the role of architect and or project manager with no or very little experience. And yet, watching um, shows like that, they repeatedly fail to deliver beautiful designs precisely on budget or on time. So if you think about it, people have got to realise that architecture is complex um, it's worth recognising this and paying experts to do the job because the results will be far better and the project will be completed far more efficiently. So considering the level of capital investment involved in any project from a house right through to public community, it's about assessing the risk and the value and the, and the value of the finished project will be far greater when you have an architect involved. Yeah, completely agree. We find that clients think they have more skills than they do and we constantly have to demonstrate our expertise to them and that's on, on all scales of projects, whether it's residential or commercial. If they're good leaders, then they will share some of their skills but then let you do your job. If they're micromanagers, then they will interfere in the detail of the design process, sometimes negatively. So we find the better clients are those that bring a vision of what they're interested in and a clear scope about what that is as well and an understanding of where their role is and where our role is and why they're actually engaging an architect to give bring expertise to the project. I think about, Belinda, be interesting to know your position on this, I think it probably only 5 to 10% of our time maximum is spent on initial design work and the rest of the time is spent in, you know, project development administration, contract administration documentation. And so it really is those beginning of phases of the project where you have to think very clearly and succinctly because you don't spend a lot of time in that zone. Um, I think that's a generalisation. I think um, really at the start of any project with a new client, there's a phase of um, building a relationship with that client which um, requires uh, work uh, on both both parts to to establish the relationship and to establish a clear brief. 
But then once that's all clear, then yes, the design can progress quite rapidly. But you're right, there's there's so much uh, administration, compliance, documentation and process that uh, fills up most of any project for an architect. And, and that's um, work that you need the experience for and knowledge. That was Shanine Fanton and Belinda Orwood from POD, based in Cairns. It is possible for anyone in Australia to design their own home, as long as some form of registered building practitioner is involved along the way. It can also be a really rewarding experience to give it a go yourself. But with all the complexities and considerations that go into the design of a building, it's easy to miss something very important either in the design or during the build. Jo Rees from Ajar Architects shares her thoughts on the difference between two similar projects, one designed by an architect and another where an architect wasn't involved. Mostly those people who believe that they can do it all have the first meeting with me, which I don't charge for, and I don't see them again because they don't really want my input. Because I, I explain to them that this is residential, commercial slightly different, but for residential clients, they are on occasions very fixed on what it's gonna look like. And they just don't wanna to talk to me about any patterns of lifestyle or materials or any kind of expansion of their ideas. Okay, that's fine. And I have seen similar ideas executed by client only groups or you know a couple they built a house which had several pods connected by a central living space that was quite open out in a rural area quite nice but the execute execution of it was poor there were so many things that could have been done a lot better so the idea is nice and then if you compare it to a very famous house down at Cullum Bay which has five pods around a swimming pool it is extraordinarily beautiful. It's, it's kind of modelled on a, a Balinese sort of kampung or Malaysian camp, like a group of buildings around this central space. Beautiful idea, executed with enormous attention to detail and just lovely, you know, gardens, water, everything, breeze, everything going for it that you would want, really. Yeah, so I think that with help, from an architect, a client's good idea can be executed to an extraordinary level. That That is, they would not have been able to do that without help. So I think that's our value and it would be nice for that potential somehow to be awakened on society. <laughs> that was Joe Reese from Ajar Architects based in the Northern Territory. Not everyone knows that every architecture project is designed to suit the specific needs of the client and lots of creative opportunities occur throughout the design process. Dick Jarman from Circa Morris Nunn Architects highlights what experience clients can bring to the table and how architects can make the most of their experience. When we talk about clients and coming to the process we often think about houses but I think plenty of clients are investors and do developments and other things and I think they, some of them have a great experience of uh, building and knowing what their business really wants and needs in an architectural sense. But I think one of the things that people forget that architects do is we don't just create buildings, we create ways of inhabiting a space and that means either living or working in a space and that can actually transform how you work. You can find efficiencies and other aspects of design which can change the way 
someone does something every day, which could transform their business. And so having them involved and understanding their business and being active in the decision making is much more uh, creative in a, a positive sense or in, in opening opportunities to be able to let this change occur. So it's not just a space to house an activity, it's a, it's a space which changes how that activity is undertaken in a positive way when done well. That was Dick Jarman from Circa Morris Nunn Architects based in Hobart. In order to make any project happen, an architect has to be part of a team. If a client is willing and skilled enough to be part of the project team, it can make the project all the more special for it. Nicholas Braun, Jane Court and Timothy Moore from Sibling Architecture tell us how collaboration can bring about some of the best outcomes. A project that was nominated, uh, shortlisted in the Victorian Architecture Awards this year in the Alterations and Additions category was a project which was a collaboration between an artist client and an architect, Workshop Architecture. And it was a really, really interesting project where I guess it was a true collaboration. And so the artist had come with this very utopian idea of living um, in a suburb which is generally 100% industrial and then learning how to weld through the process and actually starting to build as the design was taking place. So an incredibly unconventional um, project. But I guess it is good as architects to remember that we do have the agency to assist in methodology that isn't necessarily normal and might give rise to really interesting new typologies. So that project ended up being this enormous studio complex and house um, converged and there's artists in residency spaces, etc. So that was interesting. Architects are often represented in media, mainstream, but even in architectural education as a sole individual genius. Mm. And I think that um, betrays the process of architecture, that it's an collective endeavour. Um, I think sibling's an example of that, but think of any office and the 10 to 12 people that work on a project, but one individual's always recognised. But also it's an intergenerational project. Uh, you know, we're carrying through mm. ideas from our mentors, our teachers. Um, so I think that's important to remember and contest in terms of the representation of architects. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, what expertise do clients bring to the architecture process? You know, I don't think we would ever want to view our clients as sort of separate from the process and that it would always be, you know, a, ideally a co-creation between the client um, and the architect. Um, and so really, obviously, the client is the person or the, the people who are, will eventually inhabit the, the designs that we create. So I think making sure that their ideas are heard and, I guess, tested are kind of super important to the overall process. And conversely, I think we should add that, I mean, the number of times you hear um, clients who have used an architect just say they just didn't realise the sorts of ideas that the architect would bring to the table and um, just really open up the possibility of what their living space might be. I think that there's a really valuable relationship in both directions. That was Nicholas Braun, Jane Court and Timothy Moore from Sibling Architecture based in Melbourne. Renovation reality TV programs have shown Australians that anyone can decorate their own home with a great deal of success. As soon as someone would like to move a wall, install a window, add a room or install some electrical or plumbing services, issues will begin to pile up pretty quickly. This is where having an architect can save you a lot of worry and hassle. 
Yvette Breitenbach, director of Morrison and Breitenbach Architects, tells us her experience with observing DIY projects and how an architect can get results for clients beyond their original expectations. Obviously, having been in the practice of architecture for all these years, um, there are times when, well, you realise that the learning is never going to stop and, and the refinement of what we produce um, will never stop. Definitely our work continues to improve. So in terms of clients and a do-it-yourself, I will be frank to say that we have observed with um, at times great pain friends and acquaintances doing a do-it-yourself design and being quite delighted with the outcome but the lost opportunities are very hard to as a as a professional and as an architect who has honed our skills very hard to to observe that said i do think that clients are experts in knowing how they want to live. I think we are the experts in knowing how to create environments that enable that and probably and possibly open up possibilities that they may never have dreamt of. So for example I always encourage clients when we we interact with them to describe how they would, would like to live or what activities they would like to undertake as opposed to defining a room, a finite dining room or kitchen or study. Um, because as soon as one does that, I think they bring preconceived ideas and limits to how they can actually use space. So. I love the notion and in fact we encourage our clients to challenge us, to challenge us by asking questions. We in turn will respond with asking questions back. It's a dialogue, it's a collaboration and do-it-yourself design. I do come down in favour of architects being able to really expand and um, develop solutions that are more fulfilling. That was Yvette Breitenbach, Director of Morrison and Breitenbach Architects, based in Hobart. When it comes to the large buildings in Australian cities, an architect has usually been involved at some point of the design process. But when it comes to our suburbs, there are very few buildings, renovations or extensions that have any architect's involvement. Joe Aegeus from Cox Architecture in Sydney tells us how few homes are designed by architects and tells us some of the misconceptions surrounding the way architects work. We should acknowledge that the majority of our housing is not, does not involve an architect. Something, uh, the last time I looked at the statistics, if you certainly encapsulate renovation work, uh, adaption and alteration and new building, something like 85%, might even be more, have no architect involved in the process. Uh, the mandated use of architects is only for a very limited uh, range of building types and of course probably most notable in New South Wales through um, SEP 65 which kind of mandates the use of an architect when a building gets to a certain number of stories or involves a certain number of dwellings. Having said all of that, obviously architects bring a degree of expertise to the design process. 
particularly at the front end, I would always advocate to a, a friend or a, an associate that was contemplating doing a, a renovation or uh, any form of new building or new home to engage with an architect in some form, particularly at the beginning of the process to help clarify and solidify their ideas and their thinking and perhaps propose solutions that they may not think about. Um, I, I, I think architects do themselves a disservice uh, in the way that we project in the media and there's a lot of total misconceptions about the profession and indeed what we do. There's a view uh, out there in the public that architects walk in with a big artistic gesture and then the builder and the engineers work out how to actually build it. Of course the reality is totally different. I, I think obviously architects are involved in the big idea but they're in also involved intimately in the detailed design and the crafting and the delivery of a, a, a project on site and I think we need to tell that story more. I mean, the allied professions that we work with, project managers and engineers, etc., and informed clients know this, but the mums and dads out there don't understand that. I think the other misrepresentation of architects is the idea of the singular creative genius. And that's not the way buildings are designed. Buildings in reality are designed through a collective process. Uh, there are many minds, there are many hands, there's many individuals that contribute to a creative act and indeed our office here I think is indicative of, of that. And I think we need to tell that story more um, as a profession. We do um, tend to, even if you look at architectural media and publications, focus on the idea of the singular hero architect with you know, his or her minions. And that, that's an, a very easy story to tell, which is probably why the media engages in it. Um, but it's certainly not um, the reality of how buildings are really truly designed and uh, delivered. We need to be telling that collective story more clearly, I think, in the media. That was Joe Aegeus from Cox Architecture in Sydney. Social media has helped open doors into the architecture world. By following architecture firms on a few platforms, anyone can see drawings being put together at the beginning of the design process, as well as some work as it's being built on site. But with so much of an architect's work taking place behind closed doors, it's still difficult for the public to feel involved with the work architects do. Jeffa Greenaway, Director of Greenaway Architects, tells us about some of the issues with how architecture is communicated in traditional media. I think it's really important that we make it accessible. Architecture too often is thought as an elitist profession, something that is dense and difficult to understand, it's full of jargon. I think it's important that we strip it back to its essence of, of what we actually do and communicate it in a way that is, is something that everyone understands and it's something that should be accessible not only in terms of the way in which we communicate it but people see there's an opportunity and, and there's an access to engage with it practically and to think about the role and the contribution and the value of engaging designers into projects particularly. And if I think about you know the way it's portrayed particularly in 
TV with the sort of reality TV spots and things that you see, it very much dumbs it down. It simplifies it. It doesn't really talk to the, the layers, the sophistication, the, the unseen component of what is actually done. A lot of it is grind work. And if we think about it, and you know, in, in a practice perspective, you know, probably 10% of our effort is put into the design. The rest, the 90% is delivery, is actually realising the, the idea and translating that into reality. So the, I think a good model in terms of media is grand design because it does talk to the journey, talks to the, the emotion, how people are engaged and invested in a project, the trials and tribulations, the challenges around planning or construction or weather during construction or, or difficulty in fabrication or all these sort of things. I think that gives probably a better sense of, of the reality of things. But that's a human story. That's not so much focusing on the nuts and bolts of, of what architecture and design offers. It doesn't really talk to the inspiration, the, the graft, the grind, the perspiration around what we actually do. So I think it's critical as architects that we play our role. And I think it's important too that we use the skills that we develop through our training to communicate. And part of a core school of what an architect does is communication. We're always pitching for an idea, we're always selling a proposition, we're always communicating with a vast array of consultants and subconsultants and, and other allied professions. It's a team effort, so we need to be able to communicate. So I really see it in the terms of communication as the key of how we engage and so the way that's represented can often be simplified. You see it even in, in movies, it's a sort of the go-to you have an architect as as um, a character, but you know how they're portrayed and, and how it's uh, engaged with really just looks at the glamorous end product of you know there's a drawing and then you see the building, but it's everything that happens in between that is is really the, the core essence of what we do. And there's there's a lot of thinking, there's a lot of skills, there's a lot of development, and that accumulates over time and. It's really important to take people on the journey with us and communicate clearly with our clients, with consultants, with um, councils and other officials. You know, that is the core business of what we do. And even the act of drawing is a form of communication. So you can see everything that we do is a form of communication, whether it's the sketch, whether it's a CAD drawing, whether it's a 3D um, model, whether it's a physical model, whether it's talking to and engaging directly with people the keys of communication. That was Jeff Greenaway, Director of Greenaway Architects, based in Melbourne. Reality TV shows sometimes include segments where an architect makes a comment, but even rarer than that is vision of an architect actually doing their job. This lack of representation of architects in the mainstream media means very few people have an understanding of what role architects play and what it takes to do their job effectively. Peter Stutchbury shares his thoughts on what the audience is actually being shown in reality TV and how they don't really demonstrate what architecture is. Everyone can create something, you know, whether it's a song or a house or a garden or a, or a fabric curtain or whatever, you know. And I believe that my clients are my best assets the land and the clients are the best assets. And shows like The Block and MasterChef show us people with talent, but they also show us how there's a very significant 
body of able people. If you look at, say, something like the shows that have um, singing or whatever, very few of the finalists or whatever have become successful because, in fact, being competent in any society is not just having talent. It's being able to communicate. It's being able to work with others. It's being able to adapt. It's being able to see an opportunity. It's not just having talent. So what those shows do is they, they communicate how good everyone is at doing something. You know, we just are. We're, you know, we're humans and we're competent and we're sensible and to a degree. It does generalise it a bit. And in terms of the block and things like that and house rules and that, it, it, respectfully, it dumbs it down. It doesn't give it that act of spontaneity or creativity or inspiration that turns it into architecture. So people, in a sense, believe that they can do it and you know as a result architecture is loses some of its um, credence some of its significance some of its power some of its energy up until a person goes into a real work of architecture and experiences it and sees how different it is up until that point so those shows are good for maybe educating people about difference they're not good for architects, I don't think, but they're potentially good as a stepping stone to see what's possible. That was Peter Stutchbury from Peter Stutchbury Architects, based in Sydney. When a project team of uniquely skilled people has a shared goal, this usually helps create projects with unique results. Rob McGoran from MGS Architects tells us about his experience working with clients who have different areas of insight and expertise. The idea of how much the architect should do, how much can the client do, how do we empower the client to do more, it's a really interesting question. No two architects and no two clients are alike. We find sometimes we have very expert clients with a lot of insight around some areas. For example, universities. You know, you're not dealing with inexpert clients and some of those clients have architects working for them in the work that we do. So it's an interesting question. We, we have had over the years clients who see both the design process and the development of the project as being something that is around their development as well and that they truly want to be embedded uh, in the process. And generally speaking, I've got to say, that's been a joyful process for us. But you've got to go into that process saying to yourself, that's what it's going to be. That there are going to be areas of the process that, um, and the output of that process are not going to be as purist as, um, uh, they might be if one hand is drawing every line. But the same goes too for practice. You know, you can run a practice where the 
design lead makes all the marks and others implement the marks. And in our practice, that's not what happens. Our practice has always been a discussion. The work is a discussion. And all of our best work has come by drawing on all of the best insights. And then, yes, there will be a lead uh, party in curating that. But it is very much a design curation rather than a a single architect delivering. That was Rob McGoran from MGS Architects based in Melbourne. Traditionally, the architect's role has been at the top of a project team's hierarchy. As more specialised roles and consultants join project teams, architects share more of their responsibilities with other people. Just like a sports team, when the person in each position is delivering in their specific area, the team will deliver great results. Justin Carrier and Stephen Posmus tell us about their experience working together as part of really strong teams. We're an interesting practice in that, you know, we've had architects as clients as well. So, you know, in the landscape realm, but also doing their own houses and developments, which has been really interesting. But I think importantly, it's sort of, I suppose, sort of checking egos at the door, you know, and going on this journey together. And, you know, we're, we're, we sort of don't operate in a way where we're right, where you're wrong, and, you know, this is the way it should be. You know, we're, we're sort of not like that. But it's, it's really good to um, have client input where you can actually just explore together. And often clients come with really great ideas, you know. And um, to be able to, to build off that and to sort of feed off that can be really good. Yeah. Um, but the, can the, be really frustrating, mind yeah. you. But <laughs> sure. But, but in, the, in the setting up of roles, client, architect, consultant, mm. that sort of thing, it's important to understand that it is a team and it's not adversarial and often it can be but it has to be a team because mm. a team is really held by trust and we're 100 percent convinced that the success of projects to do with trust and trust between you know each each of the people and the fact that we do continue to to work with other architects is is a testament to the fact that they actually trust us and trust us to um, to do our best and to be measured and considerate and to do it in a way which is, you know, not ego-driven. So I think that's kind of really important. just starts off with just listening, I think, and just being really open to ideas and, and, and working through things with them. So, um, yeah, it's not a different approach as such. I mean, I suppose some people understand more than others about, you know, processes and design and how to read drawings and things like that. But... But at the end of the day, I think it's just um, oh, just being respectful and listening, I think, and just... But I do think that also comes with that is, an, um, as when one of my previous mentors would, would say, is it was all about expectation mm. and making sure that right through the process that expectations are aligned and that we're not trying to over-promise and under-deliver and just being really clear with clients mm. about budgets, like Justin's excellent with clients and budgets the first thing he does is to go through mm. okay this is what you've asked for and this is what it's going to cost is that okay mm. um, and likewise when I'm doing you know some work with the developers you know I need to say um, you know this is how much it's going to cost are you okay, okay with this or we need to order this now because if we don't then it's not going to happen so mm-hmm. I think expectations are really important That was Justin Carrier and Stephen Posmus from Kappa, based in WA.
It takes a lot of time, study and experience to even qualify to register as an architect in Australia. This is because architects are providing a service that carries some of the most liability in the construction industry. So when architects might be tentative to involve unskilled people in their process, it's usually because they know it may carry great risk to the client or the public. That being said, when a client comes along who has vast experience and knowledge in a similar field, it can help an architect in the project grow and develop in ways they couldn't predict. Sue Dugdale tells us about her experience working with expert clients and how much goes into the architecture process. The relationship that an architect has with a client can be quite collaborative, especially when the client has some expertise to offer. I had some recent clients who own a crane hire company and they want a house from shipping containers which is an idea I've talked a number of other clients out of for many practical reasons. But these clients actually, they, they know shipping containers inside out and back to front. They know them intimately. They've worked with them. They've told me more in five minutes about shipping containers that I can find on the internet in a couple of hours. And so they are amazing contributors to the process of designing this house. So an expert client, I think, is an exception um, and they, their expertise is valuable and needs to be acknowledged. But that's probably um, kind of a rarity, I guess. More often you get people who have aspirations to being designers and being architects. In fact, I can't count the number of people I've met who've commented that they wanted to do architecture or still hold that ambition. Non-architects, I think, have absolutely no idea how much time we spend on the mundane, administrative or highly technical aspects of, of our projects compared to the good bits, you know, the glamour bits <laughs> that they imagine that we do, you know, day after day. You know, how much time do we spend on gaining authority approvals, doing materials research to make sure that the materials will last for more than six months, be fireproof, be appropriate, be maintainable, be affordable, be buildable, and be able to be accessed at the right time. Time spent on compliance with standards and building codes, time spent on project programs and meeting minutes, um, not to mention everything it takes to keep a business running outside the projects, employees, fee submissions, insurances. So when people say they want to be an architect, I might actually type up that list and just hand it out to them and say, have a go. <laughs> So really, I think the best thing that clients can bring to a project, whether they're individuals or organisations, is the overarching vision to guide the design, which comes, I think, in the best world, comes from the client and inspires the architect. There's a rather an old and rather sexist analogy of an architect as the wife to the client and bearing their child. So the client provides the initial sperm of the idea, then leaves it with the architect to gestate for nine months. And bingo, here's your design. This has been episode three of Hearing Architecture. Thank you so much for listening. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. This episode of Hearing Architecture featured the following guests. Damien Madigan, Rod Simpson, Sue Dugdale, Peter Stutchbury, Justin Carrier, Stephen Posmus, Nicholas Braun, Jane Court, Timothy Moore, Shanine Fanton, Belinda Orwood, Joe Aegeus, Rob McGoran, Joe Reese, Dick Jarman, Gifa Greenaway, Yvette Breitenbach and Andrew Maynard. The interviews in this episode were produced around Australia by Imagine Committee members Jamila Jahangiri, Daniel Hall, Kirsty Voles, Callie Marnane, Chris Morley, Sam McQueenie, Reese Curry, Brad Weatherall, Jess Beaver, Bede Taylor, Rebecca Webster and Daniel Moore. 
The AIA production team was Daniela Crawley, Stacey Rodder, Monique Woodward and Tom McKenzie. Produced by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.